Welcome to the sermon podcast for New Life Church's Cabot Campus. We are located at 3400 West Main Street in Cabot, Arkansas. Our service times are Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. To find more information about what we believe, upcoming events, and more, please visit newlifechurch.tv or you can text the word Cabot to 88,000. We're in a series on the wisdom books, and so uh, we're just talking about what, what the Word tells us about, about lady wisdom, as it's referred to. So you may want to take some notes of that, men in the house. Uh, wisdom is referred to as a woman, so you may want to listen up. My wife bought me this shirt. I didn't think it was all that great. I've gotten a lot of compliments today. She's wise, okay? So listen to your wives. This week, I want to talk to you about guarding your heart. Our primary text is in Proverbs chapter 4, starting in verse 20. This is the NIV version. My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. How many of y'all want to be healthy in every part of who you are? Amen? And then it says, Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Okay, so reality is, I kind of realized, man, I might have done these a little bit out of order because last week I talked to you about really guarding your words. But the truth is this, your words are going to come from whatever's happening in your heart. Your actions, everything that happens in your life, like this verse says, everything is going to come out of your heart. So if we're going to guard something, I think it's pretty important that we guard our hearts. What does that mean? What does that look like? I think we need to put some things in place to guard and guide and protect our hearts because every single thing that we end up doing comes from that place. We live in a day and age, though, that the guards of our hearts are under constant attack all the time, from all over the place. I think one of the major attacks that happens against those guards is just our pace of life. I think especially if I'm just being honest, in our community specifically, in the, in the culture of our community, I've seen the pace of people's life cause more destruction to what God would want to do in their life than anything else, because we are busy people. Uh, because all of us have hundreds of kids. And, and all those kids want to do something. And we want to help facilitate that. And so what happens is we get busy. So busy that we don't take time to meditate on God's word, to spend time in devotion to him. Guard down. Sit with other believers and get coached and get wisdom. Guard down. Or just think through the things that we do and say, another guard down. I think another issue is just the instant access to everything we want. It's just so easy. But sometimes getting everything we want in that moment is not good, and it certainly isn't from God. Ecclesiastes 5.2, another wisdom book, do not be quick with your mouth. Don't be hasty in your heart. I think sometimes the issue is the speed in which we can communicate or that we do communicate with people is another way 
that we put our guards down. It's probably really, really good that Facebook did not exist when I was a teenager. Can anybody agree with that? Because, they, I mean, whoo, I probably would have been in a lot of trouble if it had been the case. But we live in a culture that says if you feel something, then it's true. These things have deteriorated the guardrails that God would set up to keep us on the road of life and life to the full. So today we're going to look at how we need to build these guardrails back up. Countries have borders and controls. I've noticed that. I've traveled 50-something countries around the world. And uh, the strongest nations are the nations that have borders. Uh, Very intentional and specific ways that they guard what's coming in and coming out. Now, I'm not saying that what they're guarding is always good. I've been to some places where, like, that are communistic, and what they're guarding isn't necessarily good, but they're a strong nation because they understand we've got to control what's coming in and coming out. I've also been in places where there wasn't much of a border at all. I mean, I just walk back and forth across the border, just wherever. And those places are typically not strong. They're not strong. I think about Israel when I got to visit there, man, you talk about some controls and borders, walls. Even in Jerusalem, there's walls around specific areas of the city because they understand that if you don't protect, there are certain influences that will affect the heart of the city, the culture, the intention, the morality. I certainly think we should have some borders around our hearts some guides, some things that we set in place that control what's coming in and going out. Men and women in the room, and specifically single men and women in the room, your heart should have a freaking passport so that the next fine thing that walks in the room doesn't just have full access to whatever they want. You should have some controls around your heart. So what's the opposite of a guarded heart? Well, it's an unguarded heart. What's at stake? Well, anything can come in and out. Any thought, feeling, any image, any sound. Free reign to come and go as they please. How dangerous is that? We have to control what comes in and goes out. So how do we guard our hearts? I think, first of all, you guard it with holiness. Now, before you start zoning out, holiness, oh, here we go again. I remember hearing about this growing up. Let's talk about what holiness really is. What am I saying? David talked about this in his prayer of repentance. In Psalm 51.10, it says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a loyal spirit within me. What is he saying? Renew a godly fear, holiness inside of me. The guardrail of holiness, a clean heart. The heart not guarded by holiness will look and listen to anything. There are some shows and movies, church, that we just have to stop watching. I've always been a fan, honestly, of great film. I I like watching movies, but a lot of times great 
films, great films, are not great for me. They're not what I need to be watching. Sometimes they just start throwing nudity and sex in there. When there's an F-bomb, every other sentence, sometimes it's just crude and degrading stuff. So here's the thing. You may have issues with your words, like we talked about last week. You may have issues with your thought life and purity or, or coarse joking or, or anger or fear. Probably not a good idea that you watch movies and shows that are constantly promoting those behaviors, those feelings, those attitudes. What about music? What do we listen to? Where are we going on the internet? What about social media? I may harp on this too much, but here's the thing. Some of you think that it's your job to go on some sort of crusade to make it world a better place on social media. But truthfully, all you're doing is letting things in that are gonna push you to be angry and not in a good way. It's controlling your feelings and your emotions. Now, I will say this, before you go and take bats to all of your computers and go circa 1990s Southern Baptist style and burn stuff, really what I'm saying is this, just use the wisdom and listen to the convictions that God has given you. One other thing, not everyone has the same convictions that you have, and it is not your job to push your convictions on other people. Please let the Holy Spirit do his job. He is much better at it than you will ever be. And there's a difference between convictions that are according to the absolutes of our faith, like the essentials of our faith. That's one thing, but there are other convictions that honestly are more subjective. Can I give you an example? I like Lord of the Rings, okay? Some of you just got way too excited about that, <laughs> but I do. But some people are like, no, we ain't gonna watch that because there's wizards and there's magic and there's, and we just, okay, that's fine. It's totally fine. I just don't have that same conviction about that. But what's a good guideline? Okay, because I don't think it should just be relative, like whatever, whatever works for you, works for you, what works for me, works for me. No, the word of God helps us set a boundary and a standard. So this is what it says in Philippians 4.8. And now, dear brothers and sisters, so talking to all of us, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. So this is a great guideline. It's a great guideline. I personally think that Jason Bourne dominating some bad guys is pretty holy. That's just my personal opinion. Like, I think that that can be a really godly experience. But constant profanity? Hard to argue that that's praiseworthy. Nudity that can tempt us to objectify someone who is a son or daughter of the king of kings? I don't think that we can find a way to turn that into honorable or pure. Something that drives us to being angry and not holy anger, but just angry in our flesh? Probably not worthy of praise, right? Have you ever seen somebody praise God angry? Ugh. 
<laughs> yeah. That's looks a little ridiculous. Side note, for movie and show watching, I strongly encourage you to look up something called VidAngel. It's a filtering program. It's awesome. You can basically, it'll put anything in there that could be any remotely possibly offensive and it allows you to filter anything and everything that you want to. And what I like about it is if we're wanting to watch a show, like every once in a while we'll see somebody, hey, hey you know, you gotta check this show out, check that show. And we're like, okay, we'll check it out. But what's great is when you go on there and it gives you the options of how much stuff you can filter, you can know right away if it's trash or not. Because if you go on there and there's like 500 things that you can filter, and then it shows you like the timeline of the show and what all will be cut out, it's like, well, we'll get to watch about 45 seconds of that show once they cut everything out, which that's great because then we know, no, that's just trash. It's also a little discouraging because some of y'all are watching that stuff. But it's an incredibly helpful program. So I just want to throw that out there. I don't even get any kickback for that. Maybe I should go as a spokesperson, maybe make a little side money, a little side hustle, but it is an awesome, awesome program. I do think though, a lot of times what happens is things just manifest in our thoughts. It doesn't necessarily always come out in our action, but we just get consumed in our thoughts. Ever been really angry at someone, but just completely in your head? It happens to me almost every time I drive. Like almost every time I drive. Like I have to repent a lot when I'm driving. Uh, whew, I just whew, get angry in my head. Some of the darkest things though have come out of just our thoughts and daydreams. We need guardrails of holiness to extend every self-generated or enemy-generated thought. Don't blame every thought on the enemy. You expose yourself to stuff, that stuff will generate thoughts. Don't be like, oh, the devil be so busy today. We just got done watching trash last night. No, we have to take responsibility. But when you know and you're convicted, those thoughts are not what they should be. I think the Lord would have us to put some guardrails there. I wanna encourage everyone in here with this. If you struggle with ungodly thoughts, don't worry. We all do. Every person in here. Just don't dwell on them. Don't dwell on them. The enemy is a punk and he loves to throw thoughts into our minds. That happens sometimes. The problem comes when we dwell on them. When we dwell on them, then passing thoughts become permanent triggers that develop major sin. This is how we become addicted to stuff. A heart guard can help you avoid this. Matthew 5, 8. God blesses those whose hearts are pure for they will see God. So why do we need to have guardrails of holiness so that we can see God? I don't think that it's God that hides from us. Let's just look at the precedent. When Adam and Eve sinned, who looked for who? God looked for Adam and Eve. 
God's not hiding from you, but without a, without a guardrail of holiness around your heart, your heart will lie to you and tell you that God is hiding from you. It's the way it works. A heart unguarded is clouded. It can't see or sense a savior that is searching for you. Desperately, we can unclog and uncloud our hearts by placing these guardrails. So what are some practical ways that you do this? You need to get around some people. You need some community. Life groups, serve groups, find someone that you can ask to hold you accountable and ask you about your heart. Here's the thing, you gotta get into the dirt. This won't work if you're a liar. No amount of accountability will ever work for somebody who's not willing to be honest and tell the truth. But if you're willing to be honest and tell the truth, if you're willing to be humble and teachable, then you need a brother or sister in Christ that you can trust, that you can be really gut level honest with and empower them to ask you the tough questions. You also gotta guard your heart with hope. Guard your heart with hope. Really hope is one of the greatest things that we have. It is what sets us apart from any other religion or belief system on the planet. Trust me, I've seen them all. And they may all have their acts and their works together. But what I find time and time again is they certainly don't have hope. They don't have peace. How blessed are we that we have the greatest hope of all in Jesus. We can take that for granted so easily. Hal Lindsay said this way, man can live about 40 days without food, about three days without water, about eight minutes without air, but only one second without hope. One second, this is so true. What does your heart unguarded by hope look like? Depressed, full of doubt and anger, bitter, vengeful, jaded, pessimistic about everything. When hope leaves, we quickly fall into these types of traps. They're traps. They'll hold you longer than you wanna be there. So I've had a couple seasons in my life when I just was tired, no energy, no enthusiasm, and quite honestly, it was probably depression. I wasn't diagnosed with that, but I've been around enough depressed people that I'm like, I feel like I've seen this before. I've been in seasons like that. And, and, and I'm sure we can all relate to this. You get to a point where you just feel like every day is looking the same. It's like, yeah, what do I do? I get up in the morning and I fight with kids to get them to school. And then I go to work and I just work and I have to fight there and think way too much and stress about stuff and deal with people. And then I come home and I do more of what I did in the morning at night. And I just go to bed after watching some trash on Netflix. Well, if that's the pattern, yeah. <laughs> You'll lose hope pretty quick. And I've allowed myself to slip into seasons like that. And when this happens, I'll start struggling with anger. That'll happen pretty much right away. And then I'll get bitter about a few things and then I'll get pessimistic, negative. The hardest thing is nothing is ever relaxing 
Because I'll think, man, can't wait for my day off. Can't wait for my day off. Can't wait for my vacation. Man, I just need a vacation. The problem is you can go on vacation, but if you go on vacation and you don't have a guardrail of hope around your heart, you're gonna come back just as exhausted as you were when you left. You can go and go to the best resorts. You can go and, and play golf until your hands fall off. But if you don't have hope in your life, you're gonna to go to bed after that vacation or after that hobby and still feel empty if you don't have hope. I'm so thankful that I had some guardrails up in my life during those seasons. They weren't as strong as they needed to be, but they were still there. And God quickly reminded me, James, have hope. It's a season. <laughs> it's a season. James, take hope. Ask for some help. There's wise people around you. Reach out and talk to somebody. James, receive hope. I can miraculously give you energy and everything that you need. But when you're living with a heart unguarded by hope, you just let stuff fester until it becomes your reality. Even though it's not how God sees your reality. So some practical things. I think you should find some scripture that corresponds with the areas of your heart that are under attack with hopelessness. Find some scripture. Worry, Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in all things with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then the peace that transcends understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Can you tell I've had that one before? A little worry before? Depression. Discouragement. Psalm 40, verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. This is what depression feels like. But he set my feet on a rock and he gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Worship correlates with getting out of the pit. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Or maybe... You're struggling with a little bit of anger, pessimism. Ephesians chapter four, verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Instead, be kind, compassionate to one another. Forgive each other. Okay, so these are solutions. The second part of this, you start applying these things even when you don't feel like it, you will get out of your pessimism. You will get out of your anger. When you go out of your way to be kind and compassionate to people, I promise you won't have time to focus on how angry you are. I promise if you start loving and forgiving other people that don't deserve to be forgiven, God will heal you of your pessimism and he will give you a banner of grace even when you're negative. Even when that's your natural tendency, God will say, no, I call you grace because I call my son grace and I see you like I see my son. You can walk in it no matter what. Or maybe it's about your future. Jeremiah 29, 11. 
For I, you may not, but I know the plans that I have for you, not to harm you, but to prosper you, to give you hope and a future. When my hopeless thoughts hit me, I can remember that they cannot be from God because God is hope. Every time. We have to find the place that the enemy is stealing our hope and set a guard. And there's no better guard in your life than the hope that you find in the word of God. Jeremiah 29, 13. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you're gonna find me. Take back your whole heart. Take it back. Don't leave any of it up for grabs for anything or anyone other than God. Guard your heart with humility. Humility. First of all, humility is not wimpy. It's not like this soft-spoken, hey, I just, God bless you. If you talk like that, that's fine. If it's on purpose, like that's just who you are. But humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking about yourself less. So the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea, I've been there. It's pretty cool. You can stand out in the middle of it. You can literally just stand up. You just bob out there, even when there's not land underneath you because of how much buoyancy you have because of all the salt that's in it. It's crazy. But nothing lives in it. Completely dead. But I've also seen the Sea of Galilee. I've also seen the Jordan River. And both of those bodies of water are teeming with life. To this day, like the Sea of Galilee is not even that big. It has not been outfished. Like it, it is still producing life to this day, okay? But it, both of those bodies of water flow into the Dead Sea. Why is it dead? Nothing is flowing out of it. There is no outlet on the Dead Sea. Water flows in, stops. The reason why it doesn't flood is because it's so dry and arid that it's constantly evaporating. So even though there's water flowing into it, nothing flows out. Anytime there is a body of water, a sea or a lake that is flowing into another sea or lake that flows into some other body of water, there will be life. When that water stops flowing, Death happens. I find it to be the same way in our lives. If through community and the grace of God and maybe even through this church, God is pouring life into you, but you are not pouring life out, you're gonna die in your soul because God created you to be a conduit of life conduit of service. The reason why I'm talking about this is because the greatest remedy for selfishness and pride and conceit and narcissism is service. Serving somebody. It's just finding ways that you can let the life that's being poured into you pour somewhere else into someone else. Do you sense that your heart is not full of life? Then maybe you're not pouring out. 
Are you giving back? Are you seeing the needs around you? Are you hearing about the needs around you but not doing anything? The guard of humility will help you prevent some things from entering and exiting, but it will also move things along in your life that need to be given away, like love and grace and forgiveness and encouragement. Look, I've had bad days just like anybody else, maybe more than some, I don't know. But on these days, I find that reaching out to someone and just seeing how they're doing and how I can pray for them changes the whole dynamic of my day. Just sending simple texts can take me from a place of being focused on my problems to the character of Christ and focusing on other people's needs. And the truth is this, I don't know if I ever even really helped that much, but it sure helped me. It helped me. So what can you do practically if you wanna get a guardrail of humility around your heart? Help one person every day. In a big or small way, just help someone every day kindness to someone that maybe you would typically overlook. A text to someone that you haven't spoken to in a while or or maybe being the one that gives forgiveness first when they don't deserve it. Serve someone. I think this is a great prayer if you find yourself in a place where your heart maybe just doesn't feel healthy, doesn't feel guarded. There's no life there. You can sense that it's really tainted with a lot of different influences. If you're open and willing, the Holy Spirit will show you. This is a great prayer in Psalm 26 too. Dangerous prayer. Put me on trial, Lord. Cross-examine me. Test my motives and my heart. And if you will wake up every day and pray that prayer, this psalm, God will show you where the borders of your heart and the guards of your heart are weak. And then you can just apply some of the things that we talked about. I think it'll help you. Amen. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. Nobody's looking around. Just as a sign of surrender is a sign of being open to whatever the Lord needs to do in our heart, I'd like to ask everybody just to open your hands in front of you. This is just a posture. Just open our hands. There's nothing weird about this. This is just us symbolically And as an act of our free will, saying, I'm open, Lord. I'm open. I'm open. This is the reason why you'll see people raise their hands and worship sometimes. This is a symbol, an act of our free will to say, I'm open. Take what needs to be taken. Give what needs to be given. 
I surrender. Father God, we bring you our hearts, the place that everything comes from. And we do pray that prayer. Examine us. Examine us. We know that you are a good and just God. There is no other judge that we would rather present our lives before than you. Examine us. Search our hearts. Help us to see any place that is unguarded, that doesn't bring glory to your name, that's not praiseworthy or honorable or pure. Whatever it is, God, would you speak to us, great counselor, spirit of the living God, show us. And then as you show us, thank you for the conviction to be strong so that we adjust and walk out our repentance. There may be a couple of people here today that this sermon is definitely hitting home. You know that your heart is not in a good place and it may be that the reason why it is not is because your heart has never been surrendered. It's never been surrendered. See, even believers, even myself, like I've talked about this morning, even as a Christ follower, I, I can struggle in seasons. But I can always return to the cross. I can always return to the hope that I have in, the, in Jesus. I can always return to the body of Christ. I can always return to his word and know that I can be restored and healed. But if you have never surrendered to Jesus, you do not have that hope. It cannot be manufactured. It cannot be earned. It cannot be something that you do religious things, even coming to church and think that that's somehow how you obtain the hope. That hope comes in a place of surrender. That hope comes in a place of repentance. It's recognizing that your sin separates you from a holy God, but that holy God is crazy about you. He loves you with a love that is undescribable. And because of that love, he sent his only son, Jesus, to die for you. And it's when you understand that and you accept that price paid for your ungodly, unholy life, and you just receive that price and ask for forgiveness that you can be saved. And if you're here today and you've never done that, or you felt like you did, but you still don't have hope right now, you still feel distant from God, you feel away from Him, but you can sense that He is leading you Right now, you're sensing he is still pursuing you, searching for your heart. And you know you need to respond to him. I wanna give you a chance to respond. So nobody is looking, 
We're not interested in trying to embarrass you, but I am interested in you having a confidence and a boldness to make this decision to respond to what God is telling you to do. So if you know he is, and you know you need to surrender to him, you're away from him, I wanna pray with you. Would you be willing to admit to me and to God that you need him? If you are, just put your hand up right now. As soon as I see your hand, you can put it down, but you know you're away from him. You need him. Thank you. I got you. Yes, ma'am. Anyone else? I need to make a decision to follow Jesus today. I'm away from God. Okay. Father God, I thank you so much for that one hand because your kingdom is all about the value of every individual soul. Your kingdom is all about doing a full service and a full message and everything else for one person to know their value in you. So that one person that raised your hand, just say this. You can say it loud enough for your own ears to hear it or just in your heart, you do need to tell somebody you made this decision. The word says, if you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, you'll be saved. The confession, the declaration of your faith is so that you can be encouraged and supported. But just talk to him and say, God, here's my life. And I know that I'm a sinner and I know I can't save myself. And I don't understand how you can love someone like me, but I have faith right now to believe it. And I believe that you love me enough that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for me. He paid the price for my sin. But he didn't just die and pay the price. He's not just my savior, but he's my Lord because he rose again from the grave. He defeated my sin. He defeated death itself. And he didn't do that just so that I can go to heaven. He did that so I can have life and life to the full now. But the only way that I can walk in that life, I have to be surrendered. So I surrender. I surrender and I repent. I can't expect to to live the life that you have for me and then still live the way I've been living. I've got to turn. I've got to walk towards your plan, your purpose, your standard, your word, the conviction of your spirit, the community of the believers. I need you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for saving me. Father, I thank you so much for that. I thank you for your grace and your mercy that's here for every one of us. Lord, we don't wanna just keep on living so that grace may abound. We want to respond to the conviction of your spirit. Why? So that we can see you. Because we live in a world where we need to see you clearer than we ever have before, Lord. Help us to guard our hearts so we can do that. In Jesus' name.